For, we were, last week we looked at Colossians and we wrapped up Colossians and one of the themes in that closing section was to integrate God into every aspect of our life. That was something we talked about last week. For those of us that, that tend to, if you tend to include God in your life at all, for many of us it's a chunk of time, either in the morning or at night or Sunday morning or in your small group, but there's not this sense of God infusing all of our day. And we said that's what Paul is saying. This is what I want you to devote yourself to prayer. I want you to be watchful and thankful. And we looked at that last week and broke that down and said what he's saying is include God. Future, that's devote yourself to prayer. Present, be uh, watchful. And past, be thankful. You can go back and um, listen to that if you need to from last week. But that's what we said. That's what God is looking for. But for us, it's very easy to segment or compartmentalize our life. I think for many of us, it's not intentional. We don't purposely say, God, I'm not going to let you in to this area. It's more by default. Because we don't, if we don't intentionally invite Him in, then He's left on the outside. He's waiting for us to say, God, get involved in this area of my life. And I don't know how you think about your life, if you tend to think of it in segments or you're just kind of living, but there, it, it might be helpful to you. You've got relationships, and that's one area of your life, how you relate to people, and you have your thought life, uh, how you see yourself, and what you tend to dwell on. You have kind of your interior life that has to do with your emotions and kind of your state of being. Are you worried and anxious and fearful? Are you joyful and at peace and content? Uh, you have your work life, whatever you do from 8 to 5 during the day, whether that's in the home or outside the home, volunteer pay, doesn't matter. Kind of that chunk of your life. You have your financial life, how you spend money and your time. How do you tend to spend your time? Are you, you waste time? Do you try to squeeze every bit of productivity out of time that causes you to maybe run people over? How do you? How, is God involved in that at all? You kind of have this overarching thing, maybe your lifestyle. How do you decide what's okay and not okay? Whatever that looks like. Ethics, morality, all of that. Is it okay to have a second home or not? How do you decide those type of questions? Does God get involved? Is it all of that type of stuff? Is this program okay? Is this school okay? Is this all of that type of stuff? You get it. You maybe think some other categories. I don't know how you, when you think about your life, what are the, your life is the trivial pursuit wheel and you've got all the wedges. What are the wedges for you? And in each one of those, have you invited God, have you intentionally invited God in? Not like 12 years ago, but recently. Is it something that you bring before Him regularly? God, I want you involved in this. I want you involved in what I do with my money. I want you involved in how I treat my family and friends. For many of us, I think there are areas of our life where God 100%. We're devoted to prayer, we're watchful, and we're thankful. But I would say for all of us, there's probably one, at least one or two areas where probably from neglect, not intention, we've left Him out. We have these segments of our life, and we may think it's small or large, but we don't include Him in. You can flip it. This idea of Jesus being the Lord. Is He the Lord in each of those areas of your life? Colossians 1.15 uh, says this, He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, 
whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. We've talked about that before. The thing I want you to hear, how many times that idea of all things or everything was mentioned in those five verses, seven or eight times. On one hand, you've got this picture that Paul paints of this integrated life. Everything was created by Jesus. Everything was created for Jesus. He is the head of everything and He holds everything together. And over here we have our life, which tend to be fragmented. And there are segments of it where we would say absolutely Jesus holds that together. And then there are other segments where He's not so involved at all. And the challenge that I want to kind of lay out here for you today if there's an area of your life where you've not invited Him in, if there's some segment of your life, again, most likely it's probably just neglect, not intention. Maybe, I, I doubt that. Where you're keeping Him out. Would you this morning say, I'm going to open the door here. I want you to come in. I want, I want to infuse this area of my life with your presence. I want you to be the Lord of this area of my life. Daniel uh, 1 through 6, we're going to blow through it. Two huge principles, two huge truths that apply to all of this. And I'm just going to lay it out there and you've got to chew on it during the week. I can't get into specifics because it's all of that stuff is based on your particular circumstances and the Holy Spirit lives in you, He'll guide you and He'll direct you. I'm just going to lay out these two truths and they're, it's a little bit heavy, but I'm going to just trust that you'll grab it and take it if it resonates with you. And I'd encourage you this week to read through it. It's 15, 20 minutes. Read through Daniel 1 through 6 and see kind of how the Lord wants to use this to speak in this area of integration. I think an an easy uh, defense, an easy justification, an easy rationalization for why we don't do this is, but you don't understand and you fill in the blank. And I would say particularly in our work life, but it can be when it comes to dealing with uh, civic life, with the government, any type of, any area of life where there's a ruler, and I use that in quotes, where there's someone who's an authority over you, it can be easy to say, you know what, I can't fully integrate God into that area of my life because I have a boss. And that boss, again, whether it's an individual, whether it's a company, whether it's a set of policies and procedures, whether it's an institution, whether it's a government, whether it's an economic system, I have a boss, and that boss has authority. And he's not necessarily God's biggest fan. And so for me, I can't do some of the things that you're talking about just because of the circumstances that I'm in. And so we can, again, we can kind of rationalize and justify keeping God out of certain areas of our life because we say our boss won't let us fill in the blank. And again, I'm using boss metaphorically. It could literally be your boss, but it might just be this world that you live in whatever that looks like, this certain area of your life where there's someone who's calling the shots and it's not someone who's a Christian or the Christian values are not promoted in this area. And you say, you know, it's easy for me, my job to integrate God into my work. Not easy for you. You don't know what I do every day. I get fired or I get demoted or I get people look at me cross-eyed or whatever would happen. So, anyway, if that's you, if you if there's that tension for you, you hear what I'm saying, but you're thinking, that doesn't really work for me because, and you fill in the blank, whatever that because is, Daniel, I think, might have something to say to you. The two main truths here, one is that God is sovereign, and the second is that He expects us to honor Him, regardless of the circumstances and regardless of the consequences. That's it. 
God is sovereign. That means He is in control of the events in this world. I don't know how all of that plays together with human freedom. I 100% believe we are responsible for our actions. I believe we have free will and that God lays choices before us and we make those choices and there are consequences. I think it's a biblical to the core. And at the same time, 100%. God is sovereign. He's in control. He accomplishes His purposes and He accomplishes His will in the earth. And I don't understand how those two things come together, but they come together. And when you read Daniel 1-6, through 6, the theme that you'll see running through is God's in charge. It doesn't matter what man or what empire is on top at any particular moment in history. God is standing behind all of that. And we can get down the road and does everyone who's elected, was that the guy God wanted? I don't know. Again, I don't know how all of that stuff comes together. I just know ultimately He's in charge. Read Daniel 2, read Daniel 4, read Daniel 5. The theme through, again, those, those three chapters, I think it's through actually the whole book of Daniel, but in those three chapters in particular, you'll see God's in control. In Daniel 2, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, he's the most powerful man in the world at the time, has a dream. And he calls all of his spiritual advisors and says, interpret this dream for me. And they say, well, what is it? And he says, I'm not telling you. Tell me what the dream is and then interpret it for me. And they, no, we, nobody asks anybody to do he says, well, I'm killing all of you. What, you. what good are you worth? I mean, if you can't do that, then why are you my spiritual advisors? And circumstances happen. The guy who's supposed to be executing this order finds out about, meets Daniel, and Daniel says, I'll do it. And he goes in and he interprets the dream. And the, the punchline, the interpretation of the dream is, yeah, there are these kingdoms. And right now, Babylon's on top. And there'll be another one. And it's the Medes and the Persians. And then there'll be another one. And it's Greece. And there'll be another one. And it's Rome. And then... But there's this other kingdom. It's the kingdom of God and it'll destroy all of these. And it's going to be a mountain that can't be shaken. Theme there. God is sovereign over the affairs of men. This is chapter 2, verse 46. King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate. Prostrate, excuse me. He might have had a prostrate, but he fell prostrate before Daniel. He paid him honor, ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you are able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position, lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler of the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. And then he moved his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He had them appointed to positions of authority as well picture here, the most powerful man in the world falling down before Daniel because Daniel interprets this dream that says here's, here's history. Here's the, here are the next few centuries laid out in front of you. Chapter 4, the same thing. Same king, Nebuchadnezzar, has a dream. It, it's this weird dream with the tree and the tree gets cut down and the tree grows back and he calls in Daniel. What does this mean? And Daniel says, you're the tree. You're the most powerful man in the world right now. You can do anything you want. And the reason you can is because God's put you there. But you don't acknowledge Him. So He's about to cut you down. And you're going to spend seven years out in the fields living like an animal. And then when you acknowledge Him, He's going to call you back. And within a year it happens. Nebuchadnezzar's out on his balcony. And he says, look at all that I've done by my power and for my glory. And he gets hit with this disease. I can't remember the name of it. It makes you act like a cow. It's not called mad cow disease. It's something else. It makes you act like a cow. It's in there. And he does it for seven years. He acts like an animal. Doesn't cut his hair, doesn't cut his 
fingernails. He's living outside, eating whatever he can scrounge. At the end of that time, he acknowledges that God is God. His sanity is restored and he's pulled back into the kingdom. Verse 34 in Daniel 4. At the end of that time, that's the end of these seven years where you live like a wild animal. I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. This is a pagan king. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold back His hand or say to Him, What have you done? You see the picture there. Nebuchadnezzar realizes, God's in charge. He put me here. He took me out. He moved me back. Daniel 2, we see God is in charge. He's sovereign over these massive, governmental, global kingdoms. In chapter 4, we see He's in charge of individual destinies. Nebuchadnezzar, He he puts Him, He pulls Him back, and He puts Him back in. He he removes Him temporarily. When Nebuchadnezzar repents, He's moved back. Chapter 5, Nebuchadnezzar's successor. Two down. The um, Bible says it's his son. It wasn't his direct son. Maybe his grandson. Something like that. That worked in a lot of different things. But anyway, this guy who's a successor, who knew Nebuchadnezzar, he has this huge party. And at this party, this don't think party, it was pretty a sinful atmosphere. He says, bring me all the stuff from the temple of God. And they bring all the gold and the silver and all this plates and the cups and all that stuff. And they eat off these plates and drink from these cups that are sacred and set apart for God's use. And it says he praised the God of gold and silver and wood and stone. He didn't praise the God of heaven. And so this hand appears and starts writing on the wall. And it says the king went pale, just like you would go pale if a hand appeared and started writing on the wall. What does it mean? He calls all the guys in. Nobody can interpret it. His wife says there's this guy, Daniel. He worked for Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe he can work for you. And they pull Daniel in. And what Daniel says to him, this is in verse... um, 24. God sent the hand that wrote this inscription. This is the description he, w- he has written, and it's these mene, mene, tekel, parson. I don't know how to say that. This is what these words mean. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. You've been weighed on the scales and found it wanting. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, so he was given honor. It said that very night, Belshazzar, that was the king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So there you have a picture. Nebuchadnezzar, temporarily restored. Balthazar, permanently taken out. God is sovereign in all of those things. That's the picture for us. You find yourself in a setting where you say, you don't know who I work for. You don't work for these guys. Whatever your guy is, he's not these guys. These guys, at the point, they, were, they could do whatever, literally whatever they wanted. There is no appeal system. There are no civil there are no human rights. There's nothing. Whatever they say goes. And they're wicked men. And in the midst of that, we see Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego prospering. And God moving the pieces on the board, however he desires. It's not quick. It's over the course of decades and centuries, but he's moving things towards His end. So if you find yourself, if you're in a situation where you say, you don't know this industry, you don't know this organization, you don't know what this rule book that I've got to follow, all I'm going to say to you is God is sovereign. 
And you need to rest in that. He moves people into positions of influence and He removes them from positions of influence. And you can rest in that. The second piece, He expects His people to honor Him regardless of the circumstances and the consequences. You see this in chapter 1, in chapter 3, and in chapter 6. Chapter 1 is opens, these Jews have been taken captive by the Babylonians and the Babylonians are looking for the best of the best and Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are chosen, they're moved into this special program to kind of see, are these guys who could help run our kingdom and so they're given a special diet and it's actually in Babylonian world it's the best food, they're eating from the king's table but for these Jews it's not good it's not kosher, the food has been the, the first sip of wine is poured out on a pagan altar and the first slice of meat is burned in front of this pagan god. And so for Daniel, it's like, that, we can't eat that. That's unclean. Can we just eat some vegetables? And the guy's like, mm, you really need to eat this food. I'm going to get in trouble if you just eat vegetables and you come out looking like a ghost. And Daniel says, give me ten days. Let me eat this vegetables and water for ten days and let's see how I stand. At the end of the ten days, he and his three guys look better than everybody else and they're moved up to the head of the class. And they're installed in positions of authority. And for us, I think the, one of the applications of that, Daniel sought to honor God even in these minute details over seeking the favor of people in authority over him. That meant he wasn't rebellious. He went, he asked. He wasn't arrogant. He wasn't self-righteous. But he, he didn't bail on his convictions. And he could have. He totally could have justified. He, wasn't, he, he was a, basically a prisoner. He wasn't in charge of the food that was given. He had to eat what he was given. And he could have said, you know what? If I can move up, then I'll really be in a position of influence. I can do some good. I can protect my people. I can minister to these high up officials. Who knows? Maybe Nebuchadnezzar will begin to follow God because I can, I can get, I'll have his ear. What's the big deal about eating this food? It's just food. And I think the thing for us, for some of us, we justify being squishy on some things that we know we shouldn't be squishy on. Because we say, well, it, it's going to move me. And, and we'll say it's not about us. It's not about our position. It's not about our status. But it'll, it will give us greater influence. And so we're squishy on some things that we should be firm on. And I think the word from Daniel 1 is don't. God expects us to honor Him regardless of the circumstances and regardless of the consequences. So if, if you're in a, in a world, whatever that looks like, professionally or personally, whatever, where you're having to compromise your heart and you've justified that because it's just your situation, I would say maybe don't do that anymore. Daniel 3, you know this one, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar makes this huge golden statue and says when the music plays, everybody's got to worship it. There's some guys that don't like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the music plays and they don't bow down so they tell them. They go run to the king and see these guys aren't worshipping and so he pulls them in and says, you guys aren't worshipping this wonderful statue I made? And they say, no. And he says, who's going to save you? He's got this furnace right Here's the furnace here that he's going to throw them in if they disobey. And here's the statue. And he says, I'm going to play the music. And who's going to save you from my hand? And what they say to him. King, our God will save us, but even if He doesn't, we're not going to worship that statue of gold that you made. And he, he plays the music and they, they, he throws them into the furnace. And they don't die. 
Another one appears, says one that looks like the Son of Man. Some people think it was Jesus. Some people think it was an angel. It doesn't matter. Someone was in there with them. Nebuchadnezzar obviously flips out, brings them out of the furnace. says they don't even smell like smoke. The picture there for us. God expects us to obey Him regardless of the consequences. Our God will save us, but even if He doesn't, we're not worshiping that God. What's the big deal? You're in this position of authority. You can have so much influence. Just pretend. Bow down and, and, say you're wor- and pretend to worship that thing even though you're worshiping God instead. No. They won't bow down to that thing. Someone has told them, do this, and they say no. For some of us, you're in that position. You're asked to do things that you know are wrong. Don't do them. What if I get fired? Then get fired. It doesn't do any good to keep your job and lose your soul. And I think that's the the word from Daniel 3. Daniel 6. There's a new king. I think it's Darius. He really likes Daniel. Everybody else hates Daniel. And so these guys that don't like him say, let's create this, make a law that says no one can pray to anybody but the king for 30 days. The whole point is to trip Daniel up. They've been trying to get him out of office. They can't because he does his job so well. So let's trip him up over some religious rule. So they get the king to make this rule. It says the, I think it, uh, verse 10, I think in chapter 6, as soon as they make the rule, first thing Daniel does, go up to his room and pray. He prays three times a day. They know he's going to pray three times a day, so they're up there waiting on him. As soon as he prays, they bring him in again. They bring him to the principal's office. See, he prayed to another god. And the king is distraught. He likes Daniel. But because of the, the system in the day, if the king makes a rule, it's irrevocable. There's nothing he can do. So he throws him into the lion's den. Paces around all night. He's worried. The next morning, they pull him out. Hadn't been touched. God's delivered him. Again, the picture for us. God expects us to obey regardless of the consequences, regardless of the circumstances. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in chapter 3, it was, uh, do this thing. And they said, no. And in Daniel 6, it was, don't do this thing. And he said, I'm going to still do it. Don't let somebody push you into wickedness. Don't let somebody keep you from righteousness. That's chapter 3 and chapter 6. And in both cases, the penalty was, you're going to die. They didn't. But that, those were the consequences. I think that's where things get tricky for us. If we knew God was always going to allow us to come out of the furnace without smelling like smoke, but some of you are like, I've been burned. I was in the lion's den. It didn't work out so well for me. And I think that's, the, that's that tension piece for us. I'm going to let you kind of wrestle with that in your heart. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I want you to hold on to both of those truths. I want you to rest in the fact that God is sovereign. And He gets it. And He knows where you are. And He can move people in and He can move people out. He, he understands the setting that you're in. He understands the pressure that you're under. He, he gets that. And at the same time, so that you rest in the fact that He knows. And this obedience piece for us is He still expects us to be faithful to Him. Again, I say it in humility. What good does it do to gain the whole world and lose your soul? The answer is it doesn't do you any good. And so for y'all need to wrestle through if you find yourself. For me, if I find myself in those situations, I need to wrestle through what does it look like for me to honor Him when I'm working under or operating under this ruler. 
who's asking me or pushing me or suggesting to me that I should do things that violate my heart. Let's pray. Elio is going to come up in a second and lead us in another section of ministry like he did um, two weeks ago. So I just want to, I want to pray briefly and transition to him. The stuff that he wants to share kind of ties in pretty nicely with this. This is the only thing I want you to do today. I don't want you to worry. I don't want you to stress. I don't want you to get anxious. This is what I want you to do. If there's an area in your life where you would say, I don't intentionally invite God in, figure out, just name that. And if you're willing, I just want you to say, Lord, I'm gonna, I invite you into fill in the blank this morning. And now you've got to show me what it looks like to honor you in that area. I'll do what you want me to, but you've got to make it clear what I'm supposed to. And that's it. You just leave it there. Don't start preparing the speech to go in and blast your boss or your picket on the White House or whatever it is that you're running towards. You just pull back. Rest in the fact that God is sovereign. Trust Him to show you how to be faithful how to honor Him, how to be obedient to Him in those settings. If you're feeling if you're feeling condemnation, that's not from the Lord. And you don't need to walk down that road. If you're feeling stressed out, that's not from the Lord. You don't need to walk down that road. You need to realize that there's more freedom in this path to obedience, even if it's more difficult initially. So God, my prayer for all of us I'm sure there'll be a time in each of our lives where we're, we're not literally looking into the mouth of a lion or staring at a furnace. But that's what it feels like for us. And God, I pray that in those moments, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you would give us the grace, the courage, the boldness, the strength to say, God can save me, but even if He doesn't, I'm not bowing down to another God. I'm not compromising the things God has put in my heart. I'm not hiding who I am as someone who loves Jesus. Whatever the consequences are, I'll face it. Not with arrogance, not with self-righteousness, but in all humility and all love. Choosing to honor you regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the consequences. Trusting you to be sovereign in all of those circumstances. Great, in Jesus' name. Amen. Elliot, why don't you come up?